0: I think she hits a really important point. If you're looking for a time in history to have kids where there's some kind of guarantee that they're not going to face some big problems in their lifespan, you're never going to find that time. Welcome to the Know Why podcast. I'm your host, Liberty McCarter. For many of us, it's not enough to know what people say about life's most important questions. We also want to know why. Each week, Know Why tackles tough questions on topics ranging from spirituality to current events. While we approach these issues from a Christian perspective, we discuss diverse opinions and ultimately dive into what the research says. Are you ready to know why? Let's get started. According to research from Y-Pulse, millennials and Gen Z agreed on the biggest issue facing our generations for the first time a couple years ago in 2019. And that issue was climate change. So since young adults think that this is the biggest issue's biggest issue facing our generation, it's not surprising that we base a lot of decisions uh, around that, Um, including really big major life decisions like whether or not to have kids. Um, Many millennials and and members of Generation Z now as they're coming into adulthood uh, are worried that having children is going to overburden a planet that's already overpopulated or heading towards overpopulation. They're worried about more humans causing further damage to the environment, and they're also worried about the kind of environment that those kids are going to be born into. And so what we want to look at on this episode of Know Why Podcast today is whether or not that's a valid concern, and if so, why? And if it's not a valid concern, why not? So let's kind of look at the landscape a little bit. For most of our lives, I'm a millennial. Um, I'm on the younger side. I'm a 90s baby. So I'm um, I'm in the my late 20s millennial. And then members of Gen Z, the older uh, uh, members of Gen Z are kind of in their early to mid 20s. But basically, we've been told our whole lives that every action we take will affect climate change one way or the other. And then as we've gotten older and we've been entering into adulthood, we've been told by a lot of people that having kids is one of the worst things we can do for the environment. A couple years ago, back in 2018, the New York Times actually explored this concern among millennials, and there were some really eye opening quotes from young adults in that article that I'm just going to read. I don't want to give birth to a kid wondering if it's going to live in some kind of Mad Max dystopia. The human population is so numerous, the planet may not be able to support it indefinitely. It's hard for me to justify my wants over what matters and what's important for everyone. My instinct is to shield my children from the horrors of the future by not bringing them into the world. That's from 2018. That's quotes from several different young adults who are weighing this issue of whether or not to have kids. Um, but this is a, still an ongoing concern because a more recent article from British Vogue it came out in April of 2021 explores the same question with this headline, which is kind of shocking. Is having a baby in 2021 pure environmental vandalism? Um, the author, Nell Frizzle, writes the following. Before I got pregnant, I worried feverishly about the strain on the earth's resources that another Western child would add. But I also worried about the sort of world that I was bringing my child into. Could I really have a baby knowing that by the time he was my father's age, he may be living on a dry and barren earth? So here's the thing. Um, obviously, we're seeing a lot of people in our generation really wrestle with this question because they're concerned about their future children and, and believing that climate change is the biggest issue facing us right now, we want to make sure that we're doing the responsible thing. Um, and so if you think that we are on the precipice of an apocalypse um, and that we only have a certain amount of time before, um, as, as one person said, it's a Mad Max dystopia or we're living on a dry and barren earth, you're going to want to think twice about having kids. Um, and, and here's what I want to say, though. All these fears about having children and contributing to climate change are based on the worst case scenarios. And if you read the main headlines and that's all you read, you would think that those worst case scenarios are basically set in stone. Um, And there's a reason for that. It's because the most alarming information gets the most attention. There's an old saying in journalism, if it bleeds, it leads. So people are just drawn to bad news. And I actually, my background is in journalism journalism. That was my training, that was my education. Um, I've had experience as a journalist, so I am not bashing the media here, I love journalists. But that's just kind of a fact, you know, people are, if you have two stories, one with kind of positive news and one with this, oh my goodness, there's this dire prediction from this latest study, that's what's gonna go viral, get the most views, the most clicks, that's just what people are drawn to. Um, But there is a key characteristic of our generations, Millennials and Gen Z, that's really important here, and it is that we are skeptical. And this is because we've been raised with technology. We have the whole Internet at our fingertips, in our pockets all the time. So we can research anything we want to. And I would like to encourage us right now to engage some healthy skepticism. And let's consider whether the climate change alarmists have a monopoly on the facts. Um, And just before I go any further, I'm not here in this episode to argue about the reality of climate change or, you know, I'm not saying that. The climate doesn't change or that we don't need to care about the environment because I believe we do need to take care of the environment. All I want to get into right now is the severity of some of these predictions and whether or not that's like an accurate representation of what's really going on. So just a little background, this idea of a deadline of the year 2030, where if we don't reach a certain global temperature by this year, Um, We're going to basically enter the apocalypse. The planet's going to become unlivable. You may have seen some of those headlines over the past few years. That is actually not an accurate representation of what a lot of scientists believe. In 2019, after this idea of a deadline really became popular, there is a report from the publication Axios that quotes several scientists, climate scientists, who agree that the issue of climate change needs to be addressed but they disagree with this kind of doom deadline as an accurate way to frame the issue. So I'm just going to give you a couple of their quotes for some perspective. Kate Marvel is a climate scientist at NASA, and she told Axios, 12 years isn't a deadline and climate change isn't a cliff we fall off of. It's a soap we slide down. Even under a business as usual scenario, in other words, we don't take any of these recommended changes, um, the world isn't going to end in exactly 12 years. Another quote from the Axios Report from Andrea Dutton, who is a paleoclimate researcher at the University of Florida, said, for some reason, the media latched on to the 2030 deadline, presumably because they thought it helped get across the message of how quickly we are approaching this and hence how urgently we need action. And fortunately, this has led to a complete mischaracterization of what the report said. And the report that they're talking about is from the International Panel on Climate Change that uh, basically recommended a lot of changes for countries to implement in order to reach uh, this global temperature by the year 2030. Um, But as as we were seeing from these quotes from these other climate scientists, it kind of got mischaracterized because people latched on to this target year um, and it ended up it resulting in a very inaccurate representation of what the report was actually saying. Gavin Schmidt is another scientist for NASA who said the thing to push back against is the implicit framing that there is some magical global mean temperature or total emissions that separate fine from catastrophic. There just isn't. Now, again, these are all scientists who believe in climate change, who believe it's a problem that needs to be addressed, but they are rejecting the idea that we're going to enter some apocalypse if we don't reach a certain global temperature by a certain year. Um, and beyond that, there is legitimate debate about how much humans contribute to climate change and to the global temperature and how much a lot of the policies that are being recommended would actually change that global temperature. And I'm not going to address those. But, you know, among climate scientists in the science community, there's just a lot of debate about that. But again, the most alarmist warnings, the most dire headlines, they're the ones that are going to get the most attention. And a lot of times if we don't dig deeper, we might think, well, that's just reality. That's going to be the way it is. So if we're basing any sort of reproductive decision on that deadline, then we need to know that, okay, oh, there's a lot of scientists saying that's actually not an accurate way to think about the world or the, the state of the climate. But what about the issue of overpopulation? Even if we're not going to enter some Mad Max dystopia by the year 2030, which if not, that's great. Like We can all breathe a sigh of relief, right? Um, what about overpopulation? Because we know that we live in a, in a finite world, there's a finite amount of resources, so are we going to run out of room are we going to run out of resources if we keep adding more humans to the planet? Um, and I would say that's a legitimate question to ask, but the answer is no. And, and before you think, oh, you're crazy because you know I've seen all these um, articles that talk about overpopulation concerns, but let's just engage in some healthy skepticism again, like I said before, and let's look at why, um, and, and let's look at a little bit of history of where these overpopulation fears came from. Back in the 19th century, there was a scholar, his name was Thomas Malthus, and he believed that the human population would grow at a faster rate than food production, and that this would obviously lead to mass starvation and a lot of other problems. And he argued that we needed more population control tactics to solve this issue before we ran out of food. But guess what? Thankfully, he was proven wrong because the very next century, brought some very important industrial inventions that caused food production to increase. And sometimes uh, food production even outpaced population growth. So it it was not an issue. The overpopulation fears that he warned about all those years ago never came to fruition. But the fears still reemerged. In the 1960s, you had Paul Ehrlich publish The Population Bomb, and he echoed the the arguments of Malthus, even though Malthus had been proven wrong. And he predicted that the world was on the brink of running out of food and resources. And those overpopulation fears have kind of persisted um, since then, even though they still haven't come to fruition. And here's what they both got wrong. They underestimated, underestimated our ability as humans to adapt to growth. Because thanks to human ingenuity, we aren't limited to natural resources. And this is something that another environmental scientist actually wrote about in the New York Times back in 2013. His name is Earl Ellis, and he had some really helpful insights on this. He said, the conditions that sustain humanity are not natural and never have been. Since prehistory, human populations have used technologies and engineered ecosystems To sustain populations well beyond the capabilities of unaltered natural ecosystems. So in other words, if we're concerned about overpopulation, um, a lot of those fears come from just looking at the resources that we have now, not taking into account the adjustments that human beings make over time that we have always made throughout our history. So let's go back to that British Vogue article that I mentioned earlier, asking whether or not it was environmental vandalism to have a kid in 2021. And I want to highlight a response to that article that uh, was really insightful. Um, It was written by Peter Jacobson. He's the assistant professor of economics at Ottawa University, and he made some really interesting counterpoints. And he points to research showing that in the past several years, access to food and resources has actually increased as the population has increased. He also takes issue with another point. If you read that British Vogue article, Frizzle talks about how air pollution now kills more people than tobacco, as well as AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis. And that sounds pretty alarming. But the truth that he points out here in his response is that air pollution deaths are decreasing and so are deaths from all those other things, but those other things, the deaths are just decreasing faster from tobacco, AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis, and air pollution. People Fewer people are dying from all those causes, which is a good thing. And this is, um, you kind of have to look at those long-term trends to understand that rather than picking one data point out and, and harping on that. Um, and so another thing he points out is that The most deadliest kind of air pollutant in London actually reached its peak in 1891. And as countries develop, they tend to pollute more to get out of poverty. And this is a quote from Jacobson. But as they grow rich, they are able to afford to have even cleaner air than they did before development. In fact, the above data shows that there is less air pollution in London today than there was in 1700. Now, where does he get all this data from? There's this really interesting organization that I didn't know about before. I started doing this research, but you should look it up. It's called Human Progress. And they basically take data from all over the world, from international organizations, from academic institutions, from individual scholars, and they collect this data on the state of humanity around the world. They've been cited by the New York Times, USA Today, The Atlantic, The Wall Street Journal. So they're a a very reputable research organization. And one of the things they study is the relationship between the world's population and the world's resources. And here's a quote from Human Progress. We found that humanity is experiencing what we term superabundance. Yes, that's, that's current. That's right now. Humanity is experiencing what we term superabundance, a condition where abundance is increasing at a faster rate than the population is growing. Data suggests that additional human beings tend to benefit rather than impoverish the rest of humanity. Um, And they, they actually quote an economist, Julian Simon, who has passed away. But he argued that adding more people will cause short run problems. But at the same time, there will be more people to solve these problems and leave us with the bonus of lower costs and less scarcity in the long run. The ultimate resource is people, skilled, spirited and hopeful people who will exert their wills and imaginations for their own benefit and so inevitably for the benefit of this all. And this is not a theory because, again, this has been proven throughout history. Because remember, we've had overpopulation fears for a long time, and every single time they've been proven wrong because we're able to adapt to the growth and actually make changes. But here's the problem. You know, we're talking about all these overpopulation fears, and what we're actually experiencing in much of the developed world right now is a fertility crisis. So a population crisis on the opposite end of the spectrum, where countries are not producing um reproducing at a fast enough rate to sustain themselves over time. And so just recently, in, in this month that I'm recording this, in May of 2021, the CDC announced that in the U.S. the birth rate had fallen to the lowest point in more than a century. So there was also an, another data point I saw. That we have now more people over the age of 80 in the United States than under the age of two. And so that's not bad because we don't like old people. It's because, you know, as time progresses, we're not going to have enough people to take care of our society. We're not going to be able to have young people to keep the economy going. Um, And we're actually seeing this play out kind of a few decades or a few years ahead of us in places like China and Japan. Um, Right now, China is suffering from a very dramatic gender imbalance as well as an aging society and that's straining their economy. And this actually comes from uh, a problem that China had implemented after overpopulation scares. Um, After the population bomb was published, which is that book we talked about, published in the 1960s, the U.S. helped develop the United Nations Fund for Population Activities, for short, the UNFPA. And if you've heard of the UNFPA, you may think, well, Now, they just kind of do reproductive rights, reproductive health kind of work. But historically, they were actually developed to um, implement population control. They had a hand in child's infamous one child policy, which forced families to only have one child. That didn't end until 2015. And it caused some major human rights abuses. First of all, I would argue it's an abuse to try to tell people by law how many children they're allowed to have, but that resulted in sex selective abortions forced abortions, forced sterilizations and and now you're seeing the result of what population fears contributed to in a society because you have all these problems and that China is facing now. And so that's why it's important to understand whether or not these overpopulation fears are really accurate um, because they can result in some in some very uh, re- morally repugnant, population control tactics. And they're also kind of overshadowing the real crisis that we're facing right now, which is a crisis of fertility. So let's bring that back to the, the issue at hand, though. Um, is having kids bad for the planet? Um, as we've seen, the alarmist warnings about this uh, deadline of doom, where the world's going to end in a certain amount of years if we don't Uh, you know, take care of the environment better or we're going to run out of resources and your kid's going to starve to death if you have kids now because we only have 60 harvests left or something like that. We've seen that those are, you know, we've kind of debunked those or at least we've gone through some alternate opinions based in science, based on the research. So, but to close out, I want to turn to the perspective of a couple other millennials. Both are millennials who happen to be moms and they happen to be environmentally conscientious, concerned about the environment. The first is a columnist and author. Her name is Grace Olmstead, and she writes regularly about reforming sustainable communities, uh, sustainable farming, sustainable food production. So she is, you know, a voice that we can listen to knowing that she actually does know what she's talking about and she cares about these environmental issues. But she wrote in the New York Times back in 2018 about whether or not we should have children out of environmental concern. And here's where she landed. This is a quote. We are creators and stewards. We become aware of the infinite series of threads connecting us to the world around us, aware of the fragility and beauty of life, the preciousness of it. That is not an instinct in my mind, which makes us less likely to fight climate change, but rather more eager to seek to regenerate and heal our planet and more likely to teach our children to do the same. Um, In her article, she cites another millennial columnist, uh, Elizabeth Brunig. A few years ago, she made Forbes 30 under 30 list, and she was a Pulitzer Prize finalist in 2019. Um, She wrote for the Washington Post, every child is born to risk. It's impossible to be sure of anything except that life is not permanent and is prone to radical sudden revolutions. So just to pause, I think she hits a really important point. If you're looking for a time in history to have kids where there's some kind of guarantee that they're not going to face some big problems in their lifespan, you're never going to find that time. I, you know, Our parents didn't know that we were going to be facing a coronavirus pandemic when they had us 20, 30 years ago. Um, so you can never have a guarantee of, of how life is going to work out for any child you might bring into the world. Um, but she also, Elizabeth Brunig, she makes another interesting point about how respect for life and respect for the environment actually connect to each other. This is what she says. It also appears to me that a certain disrespect for human life is how we arrived in the climatic fix we're in now. The culprits of climate change are not pro but anti-humanity, and it's their ethos which inclines to nihilism, despair, and death. Children are a clear statement of hope, a demand that we claim accountability for the future. They are a rejection of cavalier disregard for the planet we share." So what I love about these perspectives from both Grace Olmsted and Elizabeth Brunig is that they are not dismissing the need to be um, environmentally conscientious, to care for the, the resources that we've been given, but they make these really beautiful arguments that bringing human life into the world is actually a part of that. And, and here's to wrap it up, bring it back to the beginning. The British Vogue column written by Nell Frizzle, she actually reaches a similar conclusion, Conclusion, even though she opens up with this very dire question of whether or not it's environmental vandalism to have kids, because she herself is a mother, she has a son, and she, she ends up landing here. I believe that when it comes to the future health of the planet, the question is not one of whether or not we continue to have babies. People will always have babies. That's true. Instead, it is a question of how we raise those babies. As someone who is attempting to raise a child with an awareness of ecological inequality, who tries to satiate his desires with human interaction rather than material consumption, who helps him appreciate the natural world, I hope that my son might contribute to future humanity rather than destroy it. So... All of these perspectives from these young millennial moms um, actually align with the arguments of Julian Simon, who is an economist that we quoted earlier, where when he said the ultimate resource is people. So here's the thing about whether or not we should have kids right now due to the environment. We know that the notion of some impending doom or apocalypse, um, in on some sort of deadline is not really supported by science. Even environmental scientists and climate scientists say that's not the right way to think about the situation. Overpopulation fears based on the data are misguided. Um, Evidence shows that as population increases, resources increase as well. And having kids and raising them responsibly is a way to embrace the value of life and express hope for the future and even have a positive impact on the world and on the environment. So I really wanted to get into this today because I want to commend uh, my generation, Millennials, and Generation Z because we we really care about the causes that matter to us. We're willing to change our habits and, and change major life decisions, even whether or not to have kids based on our convictions of what we think is the responsible thing to do. And that's a good thing. That means we're willing to live out what we believe. But if we're going to make those decisions, we need to make sure that they're based on truth. We need to make sure that they're based on reliable information, not just some alarmism, not, you know, something that we that everybody's saying we need to engage that healthy skepticism and say, what are the facts? What's the truth? Because if I'm going to base my life around this information, I better make sure that it's accurate. So. Just remember, there's usually more to the story, uh, but that's what we have today. And if you're interested in learning more about any of these topics, we will have the research that we've cited here posted on our website that you can dig into for yourself and make your own conclusions. My name is Liberty McCarter, and I'm the host of the No Why podcast. Thanks for listening.